From the at-home studios of the Nebraska Extension 4-H Youth Development Coordinators, it's PYD in 3 I'm Maria Walker. Hi, and I'm Ashley Benish. And we are 4-H Youth Development Coordinators with Nebraska 4-H. Welcome to the inaugural podcast of PYD in 3 I'm excited. How about you, Ashley? Absolutely. Let's get this rolling. Indeed. Uh, so what are we trying to do here? Ashley? Well, you know, how often do you as a 4-H coordinator hear things like, um, I understand what I do and the work we do in positive development, but I have a hard time explaining it. Do you hear that a lot? I feel like I hear it all the time. I do. I feel like I ask, what do you know about positive youth development? And I hear crickets or I see a glossed over look in someone's eye, like I'm supposed to know the answer to this but maybe I don't. And maybe there's a panic look on the face. I see that and hear that also. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like as a, as a starting out 4-H professional, I probably had the same look on my face. Right. Uh, (laughs) And even after a few years, you know, we get so used to what we're doing and the things that we know it's sometimes hard to then break that down and explain it to other people. As you get so into your content area that you maybe don't connect with that information as much. Yeah, absolutely. So really that's, that's kind of the goal here. We we've all had those moments that are kind of painful, kind of awkward when someone asks us what we do. Right. Um, so we really thought, why don't we take this uh, information, make it accessible to all youth development professionals, not just 4-H, right. Um, and highlight um, PYD principles, emerging topics, research, people we should know all the great things about positive youth development and the work we do. I think that's the key point, Ashley, is that sometimes you can show models or images or visuals and folks will say, oh yeah, I, I totally get that. And then you ask, please explain it back to me or how would you communicate this to someone else? And uh, no one can answer that question. So we want to make it accessible, digestible, so folks can say, oh, yeah, I can totally do an elevator speech about this, or I can definitely tell my neighbor what PYD is in three sentences or less. That's right. That's our that's our hope. And that's what we're going to try to tackle starting today. For this, we're going to have several sessions, hopefully, and we have our, already lots of topics, great topics on the docket for these, but we're going to try to split this up a little bit for folks. So we'll do these in three parts. Uh, we're going to break down the topic, hopefully, like you said, three minutes or less, just the, the general information about what we're learning that day, what you really need to know. If you only listen to those three minutes, hopefully you're going to get the gist or the key concepts out of that topic. The second section, we'll move to be interviewing an expert on the topic of the day. So we'll have different topic for each podcast and bring somebody in who we feel is an expert in that area that can help us to, to apply or relate it to the work that we're doing. Then we'll talk a little bit about how does that apply to our daily work and, and what does it all mean moving forward? Does that sound good, Maria? Anything to add there? Oh, we'll just summarize that. It's the three minutes or less that you need to know. That's all you have time for. So be it. Second part is interviewing an expert on the topic. And the third is how does this all connect and apply to my work? I am excited about those interviews, Ashley, uh, and maybe we'll leak some hints or clues as to who they will be in our upcoming advertisements about this podcast. We'll do some spoiler and move right into our first topic. So exciting. Our first podcast topic here. Uh, We're just really talking about what is PYD? What is positive youth development? And again, how do we explain that to people? How do we break that down? Thanks for that question. PYD, good old positive youth development. It's um, I'm going to hit my start for my timer to see if I can get it into three minutes before uh, Ashley can follow up with questions. Always a good challenge. Here we, we go. Around here, so we want to make sure we 
we've timed that. That's right. PYD, positive youth development. It's really emphasizing positive outcomes for youth, saying youth have a positive presence here and positive attributes they can bring to the table. It includes youth voice, and that means that youth have a, have a role in deciding what they learn, how they learn it, and what they're going to do with it. It also includes strategies to involve all youth, not just your neighbor or uh, the youth that are close to you, all youth in your community. It requires a long-term involvement with the community and with adults in the community in particular, and it emphasizes collaboration, what we call youth-adult partnerships. That's my favorite part. Youth are not a problem to be fixed. They are active, positive contributors to the outcomes in our communities. And planning and our work should be guided by this notion that the notion that youth are assets. Youth are assets. The long definition says PYD is an intentional pro-social approach that engages youth within their community, schools, organizations, peer groups, and families in a manner that is productive and constructive recognizes, utilizes, and enhances young people's strengths and promotes positive outcomes for young people by providing opportunities, fostering positive relationships, and furnishing the support needed to build on their leadership strengths. That is the long version. The short version is PYD, positive youth development. Youth are seen as positive contributors to their environment. Y for youth. Youth voice is important. D for development. That means relationship and partnerships with adults over time uh, so that youth can fulfill their potential and build their leadership strengths in order to be contributing community members and to help youth thrive in this ever-changing world. I got, I have 51 seconds left. Oh man, you could get a lot done in 51 seconds. I, I feel like we could, we could talk forever about this topic. That's the other part of this, right? We could really talk for a, a long period of time. And we have two more uh, little sections of our podcast that we're going to do that. And I am excited to dive into that because I think we, as you broke it down, I was already thinking about all the ways that we apply that and that we do that in our daily work with 4-H specifically, but all youth development programming. So pretty exciting stuff. I think I'm especially, especially looking forward to Dr. Jill Lingard meeting us uh, in our next session to talk a little bit about breaking this down a little further, PYD theory, the basics of PYD and moving, moving through that. It is exciting. Dr. Jill Lingard, a recognizable name in Nebraska, but also nationally noted for her work in evaluation and positive youth development and generally a lovely human being. Glad she can make it to our inaugural recording. Same here. We always have a, we always have great conversations with Jill. So we're very excited about this. And that's PYD in three. So next up, let me introduce our expert, our guest expert of the day. We have uh, with us Dr. Jill Lingard, who is an extension professor with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So our colleagues here in Nebraska will know Jill well with her work with positive youth development here in Nebraska, but also beyond because she's done a lot of work with evaluation and common measures uh, at the National 4-H level. So welcome, Jill. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Maria. Thanks for being here, Jill. Absolutely. So we're going to continue our conversation about the basics of positive youth development. What is PYD? We talk about it a lot. You know, we've already talked a little bit in our first segment about just understanding when people say, what is it that you do? What is positive youth development? And, and every once in a while, young professionals, especially kind of get, kind of get a little nervous. You hear some crickets and you're thinking, well, how do I explain this to someone who's not in my profession? So Jill, I think the first question that I would ask you super directly is what is your elevator speech for positive youth development? 
Sure. So when I talk about positive youth development, when I'm asked about what is it that we do in positive youth development, I like to first um, underscore it by saying it's our discipline in extension. It's our area of expertise. Um, it's research-based work uh, that we in 4-H in Nebraska lead the charge on for extension. So I'd like to start there with talking about it as our discipline. And then there are a myriad of definitions around youth development and positive youth development that you might um, read in the literature or subscribe to. There's one that I really like um, from the Interagency Working Group on Youth Programs that talks about how positive youth development is an intentional pro-social approach to engaging young people. And it's much longer than that. And it talks about where young people are engaged, but ultimately it's the, it is an intentional approach that really works to develop young people's strengths and their assets and focuses on helping young people explore their sparks, fosters their relationships with peers and with adults in their communities and really supports them and in, in their, their pursuit of building whatever it is that they are striving to do to become. So there's a little bit more simple version of that that I've shared before, but it's the idea that positive experiences that we can foster plus positive relationships with adults and with youth plus positive environments that we can build equals positive youth development. I like those three things that add up to positive youth development, certainly in line with our theme of the podcast. Thanks for reiterating that, Jill. Absolutely. My next question, if I can ask it, ask Ashley. Go for it. So Jill, I heard you say you like to lead with it's our discipline. Mm -hmm. So how do we encourage colleagues or even how do we own that? How do we get to a point where we can confidently say, yes, that's it for me. You know, if you grew up in 4-H and you loved the experience, you maybe you studied child development and you thought, mm, this is a career for me. How do I own being uh, someone connected to that discipline? first piece of advice is to stay current on the literature. Like any other science, our social science is constantly evolving uh, and new frameworks and new theories of practice are emerging. And so our jobs uh, as extension professionals is to stay current on our research, um, to understand that research and be able to apply it to our work. That idea from you know bridging research to practice is really what we do so beautifully in extension and specifically in 4-H. And so I, I think that's my first piece of advice is to be a learner, be a reader, be immersed in it and, and know how to, to talk the language of our discipline, but also to be able to unpack that research and really make it applied to the work that we do to the youth that we serve. That's great. Thanks so much for that, Jill. And I I'm going to pose a question that I think comes up a lot for us and from, from staff across the state, but they often ask, how is what we do um, in informal education different from formal education? So what is, what are the things that we would recognize that maybe would be different, but also that would be the same that would cross over? Sure. So certainly formal and non-formal education are partners in this idea of developing and educating the whole child. And so we certainly want to be focused on not only a child's cognitive and intellectual learning that might come more naturally out of the formal environment, but we also want to be thinking about their social emotional well-being, their physical well-being, this idea of developing and supporting and fostering their wellness in all areas. And I, I think that's one of the beautiful opportunities for non-formal education and for, and for the partnership really between formal and non-formal is to think about that whole child approach and in non-formal education, we, we're fortunate. We really have this 
more um, flexible versatility in the way that we're able to serve young people. I think sometimes we um, think about how we can support the standards of formal education. And that's certainly a very important part of what we do in that partnership. But we also have this extraordinary freedom and latitude to be able to serve young people in different ways and to create really individualized learning experiences and allow them to have a true experiential learning model where it's not necessarily about teaching every young person across the same um, set of standards or the same information or even in the same way, but allowing them the individuality to have their own learning journeys. Um, so Jill, to, to bounce off a little bit off of what you previously answered, when we talk about whole child education, what are we really referring to there? What does that look like? So the approach to whole child learning really values all parts of a young person in their development. So it considers their physical development, their social development, their emotional and their cognitive or their intellectual development. Um, so maybe more simply, it really talks about what we do to make that make sure that students feel cared for and supported in all those areas of their development, that they feel um, safe, that they're engaged, that we're tuned into their health, uh, that they feel supported, that they feel challenged. And, and really, again, that we're not just focusing on the maybe the information or the skills we're trying to teach or we're trying to help them to develop, but we're listening to their needs and understanding who they are and trying to support their their whole being. The content is, is actually just a plus. The real experience is the focus on the whole child. And I like that you broke it down for us with physical, social, emotional, and cognitive. Yeah, I think about the content sometimes as being our vehicle, right? It's that that area that the young person is interested in. Um, it maybe connects to a spark um, or a, um, something that they really want to foster and learn more about and skills that they want to develop. But we're doing that work in pursuit of these longer term developmental assets and developmental competencies that we hope that they take with them beyond what they might learn in a specific content-based experience. You know, as you talk through um, really what we're, what we're hoping to achieve, and I have to ask you this question from an evaluation standpoint, how do we pinpoint that? How do we, how do we really um, evaluate and try to really get at the heart of what our, our programs are accomplishing? So there are measures and scales uh, that certainly can assess the maybe more cognitive things that we're teaching young people, the knowledge that they gain, skills they develop, even the perceptions and the attitudes they have about things. And so um, certainly we use um, youth assessments, surveys, and other ways to collect feedback from the young people. Uh, but also it's really important to listen to the people who are supporting the young people in other areas of their lives their educators in their formal education setting, their teachers, their parents, and be able to in some way hear and quantify uh, the experiences that they're having with the child as well. So there certainly are existing instruments and scales um, that are, are well-tested and well-validated to assess the kinds of things that we're, we're really working um, to help young people develop. But I also think that just in, in good practice of um, evaluation, it's just important to be good listeners and good observers and make sure that we're again, looking at the experience from all angles of the young person's life. Great, Jill. And I appreciate the formal and informal forms of evaluating uh, the programs and the work that we're doing. Um, and I'm sure that we will circle back to you at some point and talk a little more about evaluation because we know we could talk 
for eons about evaluation. And we have lots of questions come up from staff across the state about that. You know, on that topic of evaluation, the other thing I'd be remiss if I didn't mention is that we are also working hard to evaluate the experience that we're giving young people and ensuring that what we're really providing is a positive youth development experience that meets our our standards and our definition for how we want to deliver that programming. And so I think it's important that not only are we assessing the outcomes for the young person, but we're also assessing the quality of the experience that they have. Two important factors as we even design these experience or create these environments that focus on the whole child. What is the experience like and uh, the outcomes that can be generated from that? Excellent. So I guess one other question we had um, on the list is kind of up in the air, but uh, why does this all matter? So what? It certainly matters because we care about young people. Um, And maybe thinking about this longer term, we care about the adults that young people are going to grow up to become. We care about who they're going to be in their adulthood, how they're going to contribute to communities, how they're going to raise families, how they're going to contribute to their employers. Uh, We care about helping them build the kinds of strengths and skills and assets that are going to put them on a positive trajectory for their future. We want to set them up for success to the best um, of our abilities and to be one of the um, cogs in the wheel of all the things that support a young person um, in their pursuit of of, um, adolescence and into adulthood. And so I think that's, that's the maybe big picture answer is we care about who they become and the kind of young people that they develop into and how they contribute um, to society and the kind of difference they're going to make in the, in the communities that they live, um, certainly um, in the world and globally is important as well. Uh, But maybe thinking about that in a more granular way um, and maybe more focused on the individual child, I care about helping them become who they wanna become. I care about focusing in on their individual sparks and knowing that there's not a one size fits all approach to the way that we educate and develop young people. Um, I care about what they care about I want to know them and hear them and help them get to whatever is their ideal goal in life, their ideal place in life. Uh, And it goes without saying that young people are facing a lot of challenges. Certainly some of the things that are are currently happening um, with the pandemic and and other challenges that they face uh, in their communities, in their schools. And I care about trying to support them through those challenges. And when we can remove barriers for young people and try to create opportunities for all young people, regardless of where they come from and in what way they intersect our program. So yes, certainly a long-term, I care about who they become as adults and how they contribute to their communities in the future. But more importantly, I care about what they care about and who they want to become. Jill, it's just got goosebumps a little bit right there. I don't know about Indeed. you, Maria, but we, we were like cheering you on behind, <laughs> behind no. the camera here. Uh, I think that definitely speaks to why we do the work we do. And so that's, it's just super exciting to hear you say that and re-energizing. So thank you for those comments. It is. It's a put my hands up in the air kind of moment. Like, yes, high five to Jill. I feel that a hundred percent, especially when you said, I care about who they want to become. Ashley, Jill, who did you all want to become? Well, I didn't know I wanted to become this, this job or. um, (laughs) Did you know this job even existed? 
I didn't. I didn't know this job even existed. And I think that's another opportunity for us as youth development professionals to really expose opportunities to young people. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure it really mattered that I knew this exact job existed. I was fortunate to have a strong network of supporters um, and folks who really helped me to develop both formally and informally. Um, and so I think that though I didn't know that this was the job, I didn't know that this was who I wanted to become, I was developing the kinds of strengths um, and assets that I would use in this career. I was developing um, an interest in helping other people develop and in serving other people. And so while this job wasn't on my radar, this type of work probably was long in development for me personally. Ashley, what about you? Oh gosh, do I have to, I have to follow that, Jill? I mean, come on. <laughs> I will say it is a great moment when you have um, a, a youth uh, person that you're working with come up and say, I want to do what you do. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and, and very fortunate to have that happen a few times, but I, I wanted to work with animals. I wanted to work with livestock. That was really, so my spark was the content, right? My spark was the livestock projects. And now I'm just so fortunate to be able to work with youth and families who are passionate about those project areas. And so, you know, it was, it was utilizing that, that content spark, but as you mentioned, Jill, learning all of those, those life skills and those big skills along the way too. Now I want to know Maria's. I want to know what, what did Maria, who did Maria want to be? Just remember filling out those forms as a kid or a teenager. And I would write, I just want to be happy. Like, I'm not sure what that says about me, but I didn't want to nail down one thing. And it, you know, I had some vision of healing the world and some respect that I knew that that was something I wanted to be a part of. But it wasn't really until college and some mentors in college that helped me understand the discipline of human development. That's what I was in at, at the time, not even specifically youth development, but human development. And then realizing that I could do 4-H youth development as a job. Oh, wait, I did. Had a great you know, 4-H agent growing up, uh, but I guess I never clued in that she got paid to do that. <laughs> So uh, when I did clue in, I, I went after it pretty hardcore. But yeah, I thought I just was going to be a part of healing the world. I really thought health education would be something I would lean toward. But I realized there's more out there than that. And here I am today. Love that, Maria. Thanks Very for sharing cool. that. I have one more question for Jill. Maria, you have may have another one as well. I'm not sure. But I I, I kind of want, Jill, I want you to, to help us out with the, the next question couple segments that we're going to ha have here and just get your insight a little bit into who can we learn from in this area. So when we want to learn more, you talked a little bit about following the research and staying current. Who are those people? Who are those big name people that we can look for when we want to learn a little bit more about positive youth development? So there are several leading voices in our, our field and a few come to mind right away. For me, the top of the list is Karen Pittman. Um, more than 30 years of work in the field of youth development um, and in educating uh, practitioners. And so there are several leading voices that would come to mind for me. Uh, the first of those would be Karen Pittman. Uh, she's got more than 30 years of experience in our field um, and has been with the Forum for Youth Investment um, for many years. And so I would encourage people to uh, look at Karen's work, um, go to the Forum for Youth Investment site as a place to start. Uh, in reading more about um, her work and her team's work. 
Uh, I also think that the uh, work of the Search Institute on the developmental assets framework is great work um, to, to read and understand about this idea of developing the assets that young people need and, and will carry with them um, into their futures. And so I would encourage people to uh, read that work. That work is um, currently being led by Kent Pakel. So he'd be another voice. And then um, the last voice, well, two of last voices that I'll mention, um, one is Rich Lerner. For those of you who know the five C's work, um, he's certainly been instrumental in um, leading that effort forward. Uh, but also he's really invested in the, the um, framework around the sciences of learning and development and making sure that the youth development voice is represented at that table. Um, so would encourage you to read um, information and pieces that Rich has put out over the years. And then um, just speaking specifically to 4-H, uh, Mary Arnold and her work with the 4-H thriving model is emerging um, into our field. And, and for those of you who are colleagues in Nebraska, you know we're spending some time talking about that model and how we'll uh, adopt that model moving forward in our work. And so would encourage um, you to read as much as you can about that model as well. Thanks for sharing those uh, so those leading voices with us, Jill. You know, some a lot of those names, they're like the rock stars of the PYD world, right? They're people who we have some big fans of. And, and so we'll certainly continue to talk through through those voices in their work as well. As the young folks say, I'm a stand for Rich Lerner and Mary Arnold, which means big fan or something like that. I stand up for them. So Maria always knows the hip lingo with the kids. You know, the cool. So cutting edge. <laughs> you can tell him that. We have some rich learner stands. Our theme is PYD in three. We like to introduce the topic in three minutes and then have three segments. And so let's end this segment today with Dr. Jill Lingard by asking you, Jill, what is your PYD in three? It could be three minutes, three words three examples. What's your POID in three? I'm going to go three words. Nice challenge. <laughs> Accepted. Way to go. I'm going to say intentional. I'm going to cheat a little bit on the second word and I'm going to say whole child. That works. A hyphenated word. There's no rules here. That's fine. <laughs> and what would my third word be? I'm trying to choose carefully because I made this commitment to having only three words. Can you do it in three? I think you can. This is going to sound really simple, but I think it's positive. It's intentional. It's whole child focused and it's positive. Perfect. Perfect summary, Jill. I love that. Indeed. Thanks for rising to the challenge. Well, thanks for having me. I love the opportunity to certainly talk to both of you, um, but also just to talk about uh, youth development and our, as I mentioned at the top of this segment, our discipline, the work that we all feel so passionate about. Um, and so the chance to be able to share just a bit about um, our thoughts and our experiences about that has been a real pleasure. So thanks for having me. Well, Maria, that brings us to our third segment of our first, our inaugural uh, PYD in three podcast, where we're going to unpack how, uh, how PYD relates directly to us in the work that we do, um, specifically with 4-H, but just work with youth in general, um, and maybe the way that we see current issues and challenges come up with that. So uh, we, could, we could certainly call this directly PYD to kick it off here, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll maybe summarize a little bit on 
what we've already talked about. So Maria, you want to go ahead and do that? So we had our first segment where we discussed positive youth development, the basics of it in three minutes. And we've referenced uh, six points that have a tendency to compose our idea of positive youth development with an emphasis on positive outcomes, youth voice as a presence in the experience, strategies that aim to involve all youth, long-term involvement with the youth uh, community is also involved, and then an emphasis on collaboration, specifically with youth adult partnerships. So we know those things are part of great positive youth development experiences and programs. We shifted then to talk with our expert, Dr. Jill Lingard, about uh, some of the nuances of positive youth development and spent some time asking her questions about PYG and the basics of it, and ultimately put her on the spot and asked her for what her PYD in three could be. And uh, that was a fun exploration. So now we're going to shift into, as you said, Ashley, how it is directly connected to me and you and others listening. Thanks, Maria, for that summary. And I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I know you said, and I've heard you say numerous times that really when you're leaning into uh, these different um, elements or, or principles of PYD, you love that emphasis on collaboration, the um, youth adult partnership. So talk a little bit about what that looks like in our daily, our daily work and, and how you may see that expressed. Thanks, Ashley. So for youth adult partnerships, I love it that the onus is not on just the youth development professionals to make something happen. Whereas, you know, we could be an influencer in the experience or we're here to make sure everyone's safe and that our time is used in a great productive way, uh, that youth and adults work together to steer the ship, if you will, of the experience. Youth are presenting how they want to learn, maybe even what they want to engage with. And so I almost laugh because maybe that's because it's less work for me. That's why I like it so much. Uh, but the management of that and the uh, facilitation of articulating that spark is really what our work is so that youth can feel free to step into that role. We take a step back so that they can step in, into themselves, into the experience and uh, are right there with us in planning and executing the learning experience, particularly the experiential learning experience. Um, and to me, that's what really designates us from the classroom experience, that we are not the expert at whatever content area we're talking about. There's no pressure to be the PhD in animal science. You may be, <laughs> but that's not the expectation that you know all about whatever subject matter you're talking about. You are the expert in facilitating that with youth, allowing youth to step into the leadership role so that um, they can learn together and that you can learn with and from them also. That's that true youth adult partnership. Appreciate that. Those thoughts around youth adult partnerships, Maria, and I think that's where it starts to cross over too, right? So we, you talked a lot about the the collaboration side of that and youth really having having a say and having ultimately a voice, right? So when we talk about youth voice, that's probably the one that I hone in on the most, right? Because um, I think that that's also unique to to 4-H and through um, certainly the community club model and just youth being able to 
designate the the way that they want to participate and have some say in the direction of the program itself, um, I think has always been so powerful. And we see a lot of youth rise to that challenge. And it's pretty inspiring the way that some of them are able to do that. It brings me back to this quote from um, a former Georgia 4-H'er, not myself, but uh, Jennifer Nettles, maybe you've heard of her. Um, and she said that 4-H is a fantastic platform from which to foster curiosity, to encourage discovery, and to really inspire kids to learn what their passion is. And I agree with all those points. I find that in my work and um, in the work of those with whom I interact, that youth voice, youth adult partnership allows for that curiosity, that discovery, and uh, really helping folks, youth in particular, find out what their passion is and empower them to explore it. That's the bottom line. I think Jill mentioned, I care what they care about. That's what I care about. And I agree with that. That's so beautiful to find, to see the moment when spark is lit uh, and you realize, oh, this person digs that and they really want to say more and and get excited about it. It kind of usually brings chill bumps to me. Makes me think about this other element of the strategies that aim to involve all youth. And that's certainly something we talk about a lot in how do we provide opportunities for all 4-H is for everyone. So, um, you know, what are those strategies? What are, what do we, what can we do? How can we continue to grow in that, in our ability to provide opportunities for all youth? I've been known to say that 4-H is for all, but it's not one size fits all. So it's understanding what is needed for that particular youth or youth audience or partnership with a certain youth group in order to really, I keep coming back to Spark, but in order to excite and engage them. So with that understanding and with that lens, that becomes a first step in identifying how to involve all youth. Um, It's not making, I I said this to, I'm going to, When I talk about reaching new audiences, I like to also say we are not looking for them to assimilate to our 4-H culture because 4-H does have a culture. It's over 100 years old. Of course, it's going to have its own set of norms and behaviors and even language, right? Um, We're not looking for them to assimilate into our 4-H culture. We want 4-H to be relevant to their experience, to their lives, to their culture. And so having that lens, I think, is one of the first steps to um, involve all youth and then communicating about the plethora of opportunities to explore content areas or future careers that exist within 4-H. Being able to communicate that successfully, I think, truly is key, particularly with first-generation 4-H members, uh, because the old adage of cookies, cows, and curtains exists. Um, And I, to that, I say yes. And so much more like college, career, computer science. I agree, Marianne, as you're talking through that, it makes me just continually think about partnerships and how, as we talk about positive development and how important finding the right partners and the right volunteers and the right adults in the, in our communities to work with youth and provide those opportunities and um, help shape what those experiences look like for 
all youth, those that may have a better understanding of the youth at that are working, they're working with in that community. That brings us to that community and long-term involvement, um, how necessary that is for positive youth development, that it's not just some outside savior trying to come in and teach you about agricultural literacy. That's important, but for the trajectory of positive youth development, it's one part of that. There are others uh, that involve folks from the community that will make sure that happens. So my favorite of these to really, other than youth adult partnerships, uh, I also like to lead with emphasis on positive outcomes. Uh, So many times I've heard either in school, you know, I've studied human development a long time. uh, I've heard it in school. I've heard it from parents. I've heard it from community members when I was a teenager Uh, these worrisome teens or adolescent storm, all that kind of language, Um, and really framing the adolescent experience up to be troubling and a challenge. And we want to intervene before they engage in risky behavior. There's some level of assumption that that will happen in the experience of a youth. And perhaps it might. What I love about the framework of positive youth development is the assumption that whatever the individual comes with is an asset, that adolescence in and of itself is an asset, that period in life. It's not anything to be feared or uh, eye-rolled when you mention adolescent. Oh, you have a teenage girl. I hear that. Oh, I'm sorry. It's actually pretty great uh, to see her explore the world. Uh, at this age. I was talking this morning with a colleague of ours who shall remain nameless, but maybe she'll recognize herself in this story. Uh, She talked about that she's always been loud. (laughs) And I say, I haven't. I I was pretty quiet as a kid and as a youth. Um, So it was always a mystery. I was a mystery to folks. I just didn't like talking that much. She said, I've always been loud. And then in school, I wasn't tapped for leadership because folks just thought I was too much, too loud. But in 4-H, they used that for good. They pointed it in the direction of good, leading the pledge. Everybody could hear me. (laughs) And then everybody else joined in because they all heard it or uh, generating enthusiasm around a certain topic. Maybe no one wanted to sign up for a certain workshop, but if this person was talking about it, that energy was contagious. So 4-H saw that not as something to tame or to mute, but to say, all right, you bring loud, let's show you how to contribute to the world with loud and pointed her in the direction of um, growing in that way and assuming that it was positive and just keeping pouring into her and allowing her voice to shine through literally and figuratively. I loved hearing that story this morning. So, and uh, great example. Yeah, it's a yeah great now example. she works for Nebraska 4-H. So yeah. cheers to that. And I think that, you know, in, when we talk about applying this to the work that we do, I think that that's really gets to the heart of why our work is positive to us, right? It, it, because it is also, you know, we're, we're helping youth identify their strengths. We're helping them name them and own them and, and be the people that they want to be. 
And that's just positive. That's a, that's a positive thing to go into every day and to really enjoy. And to me, that's just, just the crux of enjoying the work. I think I see it as empowered people are powerful and that power isn't limited to just them. It's contagious. So empowered people are powerful and that empowerment is not pie. Like there isn't a certain amount and only by everybody gets a little bit. Empowerment is endless. And when youth are empowered to live into the things that they love and the people that they want to become, that is contagious and it spreads in a great way. And even to us as folks who work as youth development professionals, that we can feel that and experience that joy just by witnessing it. What a gift, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's a great way to wrap this up, Maria. Honestly, I mean, it really ties a bow on the why we do what we do and how we apply PYD principles to our work every day. And I'm excited for what's to come. So am I. Thanks for taking the first step on this fun journey, PYD and three, Ashley. And we'll end our time together with a question I hope becomes traditional for us, Ashley. And that question is, um, what are the three things you're going to be thinking about until our next podcast? Well, I think I'm going to be thinking about and, and looking further into taking a little deeper dive into whole child learning for sure. That was a, mm-hmm. a, a big part of what we talked about with um, Joel and guard. And I think that that really has resonated with me today, thinking about the who, the who's who uh, in yeah. PYD. And then also once I process that a little bit more, again, taking a deeper dive into the, the current research and what's going on out there um, from those leading voices who hopefully we'll be hearing more about and more from. Maria, I'm going to throw the same question at you. You put me on the spot. So what are your your top three things that you're thinking about today after our, our three segments? I'm going to keep thinking about ways to identify those positive moments in the lives of the youth with whom I interact, uh, my daughter's friends, my own 4-H club, et cetera. I'm going to keep thinking about that. I too am going to be wrestling with whole child and really looking for ways to integrate that language into my practice. And then third, I'm going to make my dream list of guests for the podcast. Um, I'm going to be working on that right after we say farewell today. Uh, I'd love to have some of those folks share their experience on this podcast. So I'm going to make that list and start working on booking them. And that's my three. Well, you heard it here first, first folks. So we're going to be working on bringing you some some top voices in PYD and, and like I said before, the, the rock stars of our PYD world. And so we know we have lots that we can learn from them and we're excited about bringing them to you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Your presence is a gift. You'll hear us again in our next PYD in three. Mm-hmm.